Hello, and welcome to the Hardcore Zen Podcast. It's me, Brad Warner, author of Hardcore Zen, Letters to a Dead Friend About Zen, Sit Down and Shut Up, Don't Be a Jerk, and many other fine books. This podcast is offered for free, but I am supported mostly by your kind donations. And if you'd like to donate, please go to hardcorezen.info slash donate. That is hardcorezen.info slash donate, where you will find links to my PayPal and Patreon accounts. I really appreciate your support. Thank you very much. Well, today's podcast was recorded on September 4th, 2021 at Lammi, Finland, where I just finished doing a retreat, and I thought it was an interesting and fun conversation with the group. I left it pretty much unedited, just as it is, so I hope you enjoy it, and let's have a listen. Was that the time that the lake froze that one Yeah, yeah, it was a frozen lake, and everybody was going to go jump in a frozen lake, and... Come on, Brad, let's jump in the frozen lake. I'm like, what are you, crazy? <laughs> Who jumps in a frozen lake? Then I went back to America and told them, in Finland, they jump in frozen lakes. <laughs> um, so I didn't, maybe I should have gone in the lake. I went in a different lake, though, later, so not that one. So uh, thank you for being here. I... Yesterday I thought of something to talk about, but, uh, no, no, day before yesterday, and then yesterday I talked about something, and last night I was trying to come up with a good idea for something to talk about, but I, I couldn't think of anything, but then I remembered, I, I was watching, this is going to be a stupid introduction, but I was watching this video of an American comedian named Norm MacDonald, he's a very funny guy. And he, sometimes he does these little videos where he kind of analyzes another comedian and talks about, so he was talking about this older comedian named Henny Youngman, it's just an American comedian, probably nobody here heard of him, but he's a, he's a, he's probably dead now, but he's an old time American comedian. And he was saying, you know, Henny Youngman was interesting because comedians these days, they have like a theme, the jokes have, have like a theme and a something going on, but Henny Youngman, he would just tell a joke and a joke and a joke, and it didn't, they were not related to each other. So I thought I would do a Henny Youngman <laughs> style Zen, because I found a lot of interesting quotes that I liked um, that don't add up to a theme, but um, I thought maybe I would just tell them like a Henny Youngman thing, you know, just one joke after another joke. So I don't know if these are, maybe these aren't funny, but, <laughs> but they're just observations. So one I, I thought was interesting, this is, the first one doesn't come from a Zen teacher, it comes from an Advaita, uh, Vedanta teacher, but I think it's a similar sort of thing. And, and in a way, this is, his, his way of expressing it is very much their style, it's very intellectual, but I think it's kind of an a interesting observation, and I'll just read it and maybe I can explain it or something. This comes in the middle of a book that he wrote, so it's, you know, it's kind of when you take it out of context, it's a little different. He says, The illusoriness of the phenomenal world and everyone and everything therein is accepted at the intellectual level. I just, he's talking like a, it's like a professor or something. But such acceptance of the illusoriness of the manifest world does not include the me who is asking the question. And this is what is pinpointed when the answer suddenly and spontaneously flashes into consciousness. This flash of understanding demolishes the me 
who was standing apart from the illusoriness of the rest of the world and asking the question. And with the me go all its problems. This flash of understanding makes a joke of the entire problem of bondage and emancipation. There's a sudden realization that all the me's and you's are merely the objective expression of the subjective I. This, suddenly, this sudden realization often explodes through the human apparatus in the form of uncontrollable laughter at the primeval joke that is maya, maya is illusion. It might then transform itself into such compassion or love that a most painful need to embrace the whole world would arise. Uh, and I, I think his way of, of expressing things is a, is a little bit intellectual, but I think it's an interesting way to put it. There's a, there's a, in their tradition, there's a kind of old uh, illustration of the problem that I, I never understood until I read him putting it in that way. And it's the, the, the illustration is the ten fools, and the ten fools try to count how many fools you know, are in the group, and they always count nine, <laughs> because they, they never remember to count themselves as one of the fools. So that's kind of the, the at the bottom of, of the, the problem of understanding some of the, the philosophical ideas of Zen is this idea that, oh, I'm going to have enlightenment, or I'm going to have this this great understanding, but I am going to stand apart from it and look at it as something outside. And so you include yourself as, as one of the illusions. Uh, okay, so that's, that's one joke. <laughs> uh, these jokes are all, all shorter. Um, this is, there recently was published a book called Discovering the True Self. Uh, and it's Kodo Sawaki. Was, he was the teacher, he was uh, Nishijima Roshi's, one of Nishijima Roshi's teachers. In fact, Nishijima Roshi was ordained by a different person, by Renpo Niwa, but uh, he rarely talked about Renpo Niwa. He mostly talked about Kodo Sawaki when he talked about teachers he'd learned from. Uh, so the, the book contains a lot of very short quotations from Kodo Sawaki. And I, I just compiled, because I have it on Kindle, I compiled some of my favorites. Actually, there's too many to, to talk through, but I'll just, um, I'll just tell you a few of them. Uh, Zazen is a way to see the original form of the universe in a day. Buddhism seeks this original spirit. We see it in everything. That is our most important aspiration. Uh, Zazen is becoming a Buddha while you are a deluded person. Uh, let's see. Ah, here we go. Uh, even though people become ordained, delusions don't disappear. However, when one does zazen, one's, uh, while delusions are still there, the zazen posture is the posture of the Buddha. Hence, zazen is the Buddha leaving delusions as they are. This, is, this one's sort of funny. Human beings have the desire to understand things. This can be trouble. All-knowing wisdom is to realize that there are no cracks through which we will slip from Buddhahood. The night train carries us even when we are asleep. I, I like that way of putting it because it's it reminds me of 
something that happened to me while I was sitting a, a session many years ago. And I was sitting, and I, I don't know how or why, but suddenly the zazen became very, very stable. Uh, I, I don't know how else to explain it, but nothing I did could disturb this zazen. And it never happened before, it never happened again. You know, you always sitting zazen, I'll feel like, oh, there's a thought and I'm getting lost in that thought, or, you know, there's some noise and I, I you know, lose it. And, uh, there was this, just this time I sat and nothing, even, even if I tried to think of something that would bother it, I, I did. I did experiment it a little bit and I tried to have a thought that would destroy it and it didn't. The zazen was just completely. Uh, stable there all the time. And I think that what I noticed on that, uh, that day was something that was happening always. You know, it was always happening. And I, I, ever since then, I have this kind of faith that even when I feel like it's disturbing me, it's still, uh, it's, it's not really. The, the, the calm center is still always there. So his, his thing about the night the night train carries us even when we are asleep. That's kind of how it felt, a little bit like that. Everybody has his or her own dream. The discrepancies that exist among these dreams are the problem. What I call me cannot sustain itself by itself. When I give up this me, it becomes the self that is the whole universe. Uh, let's see. This one's weird. Uh, to practice the Buddha way is to become a person who will never die, who is not at all different from the Buddha pervading, pervading the universe forever. Uh, here's another one. Always practice as a beginner. You are closest to that feeling when you enter the meditation hall full of apprehension. Don't forget that first time you practiced zazen, become an amateur. A deluded lump of cells I call me can express itself just like the Buddha. That's because of zazen. I like that one. Uh, okay, this is a weird one. Uh, Though we think we live as individuals, in fact, we are given life by Mother Nature. We are not alone. We are a universal truth. The universal truth we call the self is referred to as, and he says in Japanese, Jinji Po Kai Shinjutsu Nintai. All the worlds throughout the ten directions are the real body. It's a, it's a quote that Dogen uses sometimes. Uh, the practice of the self, he's putting it in capital S, uh, which is the universal truth, is Zazen. In other words, Zazen is proof of the real practice of the universe. When I practice zazen, I am embracing the universe. Here's one I like, but if you ask me to explain it, I don't know if I can explain it. When we are born, our universe is born too. When we die, we take all, everything of our universe with us. Here's another one I like. Uh, Though people say Sawaki has very few desires, in fact, that is not true. It's only that I persevere. If I give in to my deep desires, I will hurt the Buddha. So I simply endure, that's all. 
Because I have so many, des- uh, because I have many desires, I understand the deep desires of others. It's stupid not to realize the depth of one's desires. That's why I don't try to deny the fact. My desires follow a curve. They can be intense. While I have these intense desires, they lead me to the Buddha way. Therefore, the more intense the desire, the better. When my desires wane, so does my energy. So my ability to resist grows when my desires increase. That's the importance of our lives coming together with the Buddha way. That's a nice one. Many people come to me and say, when, do I, uh, when I do zazen, distracting thoughts arise. You realize why you know distracting thoughts arise? It's because when you practice zazen, you calm down and notice the distracting thoughts. Zazen is colorless and transparent. That's why those thoughts and ideas are so clearly evident. Uh, just practice zazen for itself. The aim of zazen is zazen. It is the other shore, the highest value. We don't do it to become a Buddha. That's nice. Um, I don't know if this is good. Uh, yeah, let's leave it that one. Um, so, those are some Zen jokes. What do you think about this session? How is it going? Is it satisfying? Do you want your money back? (laughs) (laughs) I did one session where somebody wanted his money back. (laughs) Why? He just wasn't satisfied with the session and he thought I was a bad teacher and But the fact was on that, this was um, when I was doing it in Japan, and at that point I had a job, uh, you know, a regular job, so I I wanted to keep the sessions as cheap as possible, and I didn't didn't take anything for myself. All of the money that that came from the session went to the the temple, for the rental of the temple and the rental of the beds and the food and, and everything like that, and nothing came to me. So I said, I can't, I, the money didn't come to me, I can't give you your money back. <laughs> but he went on the internet, you know, writing these impassioned things about how Brad Warner stole his money. And I, <laughs> so I didn't get anything, you know. I, I actually paid for that sashin the same price as everybody else. So, so I don't have, you know, I've got nothing to give back to you. Um, but yeah, that happens. Uh, I think I think sometimes people have a, expectations, and it's all right to have an expectation of a, a, a session, but you you also have to realize that your expectation probably won't come true, <laughs> uh, or if it does come true, it might come in a way that's unexpected and and might not happen. You know, it might happen several years later or something. Oh, and I forgot I wore this T-shirt just because I was talking about it. Um, I was talking about this t-shirt yesterday, and I thought I would make sure you saw it. I'm not saying it was aliens, but it was aliens. That's the guy, Giorgio Tsukulos. That's a Greek name. I don't know how you pronounce it, but he, he goes on the History Channel and talks about aliens. <laughs> uh, 
here's Machu Picchu or whatever, you know, like some ruined area and then explaining why it was probably aliens that built it. Uh, I don't think it was aliens that built it, but I enjoyed the show anyway. They did a whole episode on Buddhism too that was really incredible. Is the red tech on some aliens from some Buddhist is there any take on on aliens uh, from Buddhist uh, perspective? No, and that's why I was gonna. I, I was trying to write one, uh, and then I kind <laughs> of I failed. I, I tried, and I did get a few uh, paragraphs and things, but it never really turned into a book. I thought I could write a book. I might still try it again uh, later, but um, I couldn't get it together. But there is, you know, there is this whole. This is kind of stupid, and you probably shouldn't talk about it, Sashim. But there's a lot of there's a lot of mythology around Buddhism. So, in the past, I kind of ignored all of that uh, mythological stuff because I, I wanted a more grounded practice, and I, I think ultimately that's uh, the most important thing. So I didn't care about the stories of Buddhist cosmology and the various you know there's there's levels of of uh, heavens and hells and and all of this stuff and I I just didn't um, I thought well that's you know that's old uh, old Asian mythology and Nishijima Roshi when people would ask him about it he would say oh these are just um, um, metaphors for psychological states there's there's nothing uh, behind it. But then a couple of years ago, I, I started going, what, what is all this Buddhist mythology? And, and reading about it, I understand why the ancient aliens people did a, an episode about uh, Buddhism. Because some of it sounds like aliens, <laughs> you know? They, they do talk about these other worlds where these beings live who, are, who have longer lives than us or, or who have different abilities or, or they, they, uh, they have a different form, a different body form or, or different things. And, and it comes up in, uh, in the Buddhist literature. And if you're, if you're kind of into the explanation of aliens, you go, oh, maybe they were talking about aliens. You know, I don't know. They, I, I came across something... God, I can't remember exactly the quote, but it was some reference to a world where the days were uh, a different length, you know, uh, than our than our days here. And I was going, oh, that sounds like you know somebody trying to describe another planet, you know, because maybe the rotation is different, so they have a, a longer day or something. Um, interesting stuff, but no, I don't know anybody who connects it with uh, aliens, but it's kind of. Uh, fascinating because there's a, there is a whole. Also, the the other thing that's sort of interesting. Actually, when I first started getting interested in Buddhism, this fact sort of amazed me. Is that uh, I don't want to be negative towards Christianity or anything, but you know, you have this idea of the Earth was created uh, in seven days, and it um, and some people try to figure out when it was created, and they've thought it's 6,000 years ago. You know, there's some people did some calculations based on the Bible and decided that. Um, but the Buddhist cosmology actually sounds much more like contemporary because the, you know, the universe is millions of years old and, and things like that, they, they say. Um, and, uh, and so they seem to have some ideas about that that sound very modern to, to us. So, yeah. But I never could write my book about aliens. I went for research. I went uh, even to Area 51, um, 
you can go there. My my cousin, my, my not my cousin, my nephew, my sister's uh, oldest child. He's thirty years old now. He lives in Las Vegas, and it, it takes about two or maybe three hours to drive there. But you can find Area Fifty One, and when you drive there, it's uh, you have to go down this long, long dirt road, and then you get to a gate. <laughs> And it says, do not enter, and there's all these cameras and things. But nobody's, I, I didn't see any people there. <clears throat> but I've heard, um, just reading about it, that people who tried to go in, you know, if you try to cross the, the, the line there, they, they'll come out <laughs> and tell you to go away with their guns. <laughs> but I didn't do that. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't dare that. I just kind of drove the car up to the to the gate and looked at it and took some pictures. That's all I did. I wasn't so brave to try to go in and find the aliens. Yeah. We don't have to talk about aliens. <laughs> if there's anything else. You know. Can we talk about socks? Socks? Yeah. I have holes in my socks. Yeah, but yeah. this, uh, because I, I was wondering, is it some sort of thing that you, because I haven't kind of bumped across it in anywhere else. I have been practicing About taking that. off yeah, socks? Yeah, I take off socks in, oh. uh, when you're sitting and then taking them on when... Yeah. No, that, that, uh, I, I don't know why that tradition existed, but um, I, it was one of the first things I learned about doing zazen from my first teacher was that we take off our socks. And uh, I remember hearing at Tassajara in the winter, it can get quite cold, even though it's California, it's kind of in the mountains. And uh, the taking off the socks became like something people were complaining about and demanding that they could wear socks. So they, they kind of changed the rules so that they can put this little blanket or something over their, their feet. Uh, but they still don't let them wear socks. Uh, but I don't know why. The, the idea is the head should be uncovered and the feet should be uncovered, is the way I heard it, but I don't know where the origin of that tradition is. But in some traditions they wear, at least the monks or the, the priests wear these like uh, white socks. Yeah, it's, like, it's called tabi. Yeah. But usually even if you're wearing the tabi, you take them off during zazen, okay. um, at least that I've seen. Hmm. So they wear them to walk around the temple and whatever, but when they sit zazen they take it off. In Korean monastery we weren't allowed to uh, walk with barefoots. You yeah. weren't. You we didn't. weren't allowed to oh. walk with the barefoot. Yeah, yeah. They don't. Uh, well, that's in in Japanese monasteries I've been in too. They you're you're supposed to wear when you're walking around. You're supposed to wear something uh, like a indoor slippers or something like that. Um, but when you sit zazen, you take the you take it off. No, I guess <clears throat> um, I started sitting in Japan uh, at this university, and my teacher there. Um, he didn't say a reason, but he was very particular that he had to take this, or he, like he wanted everybody to be bare feet. And I kind of got the feeling, I'm not sure it might not have been him who told it, but from somewhere that it's more of some kind of G-related thing. Yeah, it might be. Uh, more like a, because of the posture than, you know, whatever. It's, it the might be. That was one of the explanations for the cosmic mudra, I heard. Right. Like the movement of energy is supposed to be better. I think it's somehow related. That is, I don't know, it's working there. 
Probably true. I also know that in some yoga traditions they they take the socks off because the energy can then flow from the so feet. I don't know if that's related or not. Mm. It could be. I mean, it's Indian uh, tradition. Which one is faster way to enlighten? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, people want to... Well, these, these are <laughs> You know, it's funny, when I packed, I was trying to find socks. I thought I found all socks with no holes in, and then when I put these on this morning, I'm like, oh, I failed. <laughs> Everyone's using this yeah. with the hole. Yeah, they'll, they'll all have the hole because they, they saw me have the hole. Yeah, people want fast enlightenment, but I think that would be a, a mistake. I think that's that's one of the ways that it goes wrong a, a lot because people want to hurry to get some kind of experience, and it's better not to. So I don't know which way is fastest. Okay. <laughs> I think it's also easier to stay awake if you're barefoot. Mm. Kind of yeah, if you're a little bit cold. Doing a doing a retreat in the in the summer is always difficult for me because there's a tendency to just fall asleep in the heat. I don't know why the heat just makes me fall asleep. Um, I think also that if you're poster, it's not really comfortable. It's a little bit like that. It's not has to be like pain, but it helps to stay you focused. Yeah, yeah. For me, it works. Yeah, that's that's the thing about zazen is I I think it should be a little bit uncomfortable, but not, not terribly uncomfortable. Yeah. But if it's, not, if it's too comfortable, it, that's also not so good. So it, it, I, I've heard teachers explain it as a kind of uh, position that's somewhere between comfort and pain. <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah. So you're not quite comfortable, but you're not really painful. So you're, you're, you know, you're trying to hold the posture neatly which is always, a, you know, there's some effort involved. You know, if you want to kind of lay back, it's, it's too easy. Coming back to aliens. Oh, okay. <laughs> would, it, would it change anything if we, if we know that there are aliens? Would it undermine our lives somehow, all the, you know, would it undermine Zazen? <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's an interesting question, because I, like, when I was thinking about writing a book about aliens and Buddhism, I had a lot of different ideas, and one of them was based on asking that question, and I was trying to think of different ways I might go about answering that question, because it's very speculative, we don't know for sure. I, I assume... Uh, that elsewhere in the universe there must be some other sort of something at least vaguely similar to us, you know, a kind of a intelligent, self-aware animal that has a society and so forth and so on. There must be other places where this has, has developed, I would, I think, because the universe is so, is so vast. And if, if such creatures developed, I would imagine also that they would all also stumble upon the same or, or, or encounter the same ideas about reality 
I, I feel very confident that Zen has the right idea about reality. <laughs> and I, I, I would think that you would find something similar on, a, on another planet, you know, if, if, the, if the society was developed enough. I think they would also think, okay, we are all kind of one with the universe and there's an underlying sort of mind that is, you know, that constitutes the universe and that there might be some uh, way of, of communicating about those ideas. I think it might be possible. So I, people do worry about religion, you know, what, what uh, encounter, encountering aliens would do to religion. Because if you encountered the aliens and they were all Muslims, for example, <laughs> you, you'd be going, oh my God, <laughs> I guess the Muslims were right, you know, because the aliens are all, are, are all Muslims. And maybe, you know, I'm saying very arrogantly that I think they're Buddhists, but I, I, don't, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't think they would be, I don't think they would have exactly the same mythology, but I think they might have the same sort of underlying uh, ideas about that. Um, but one of the ideas I had is uh, there was a book, um, there's two books that I thought were interesting, science fiction books that I read a long time ago, and one was about a, what is he, I forgot, I forgot what kind of monk he is, but he's a Christian monk of some sort, and he he's part of the crew of these people who go to, to meet the aliens that they find on some other planet. And, and his encounters with the aliens like completely destroys his whole understanding of God and everything. And then there's another one which was more comical, not comical, it wasn't really a, meant to be funny, but the, the author is a kind of a funny guy anyway. But it's called Jesus on Mars, and it's these, these people that find, uh, uh, they go to Mars and they find this person living there who claims that he's Jesus. Uh, but the the kind of you don't know I can't, I forget how the book ends but you don't know is this really Jesus or is this some alien who knows about our ideas about Jesus and and uh, just um, tries to 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 imitate that you know and uh, impress the people by claiming to be Jesus. Uh, but yeah I I I I wonder that myself if it would um, if it would change. Buddhism, you know, uh, it, an encounter with with aliens might make um, make some real impact, but I, I think as far as the Buddhists are concerned, it wouldn't really. I don't think the Buddhists would be too bothered by, you know, whatever the aliens are, because they already have this sort of, like I said, this mythology that that has a place for beings who live on other worlds, you know. So it, it doesn't, um, it, I don't think it would surprise uh, most of the Buddhists to find out that there's intelligent beings on other planets. They'd be like, oh yeah, we knew about that, <laughs> you know. Um, but uh, what, their, what their beliefs about reality are would be, uh, it would be interesting to, to discover. Um, it would be interesting to discover if other, you know, if even other creatures on earth, like dolphins, you know, what are they, what is, what is dolphin religion like? Do they have one? I don't know. People say they're smart, but uh, maybe, <laughs> maybe whales have a religion. It's an interesting movie, Arrival. Oh, yeah, yeah, with the big squid guys, yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Because they have a whole different view of time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 
Oh, yeah, I had a quote about that. Um, let me see if I can find it. Oh, oh, I found it right now. This is uh, uh, Joshu Sasaki. This isn't Kodo Sawaki. Similar sounding name, but another teacher. Some scholars speak wisely about time as if it is running from past to present to future. That's a stupid idea. From the point of view of Zen, it's pure bullshit. The universe is one and filled with time, so time is one. So yeah, so if the Buddhists encountered the aliens in arrival, they'd be like, yeah, we told you, time is different. <laughs> Those big squid-looking aliens. I liked that movie. If you had one minute in the elevator with the aliens, <laughs> you, you needed to communicate your real view to them. So if the, if the button would be pressed now, how, how, what, what would you say? My elevator pitch to the aliens? Yeah. <laughs> let's uh, let's uh, imagine that they speak I think I would be more asking them a question, you know, like what what is your what is your view of reality? You know, I'd want to hear what they have to say more than trying to say something. Yeah, yeah. Are you are you Buddhists? <laughs> I don't know. I wouldn't say that, but uh, I don't know if I'd because uh, I think that it would be fascinating to know what they uh, if they have a a similar. You know, I, I often look at. I have a look at ordinary things in, in just, you know, that I encounter, and I think, do aliens have vacuum cleaners? You know, or something like that, you know? Because they probably would have vacuum cleaner, or something like a vacuum cleaner, right? But do they have television? You know, we think they have television, but, but why would they have television? Maybe they don't. Maybe they have vacuum cleaners, but no television. There was another movie, I don't remember exactly what the title was, it was something like Area B, C, D or something, where the aliens were just as lost as we, just a well. bunch of those guys who... <laughs> Area 9? Area 9? Area 9, yeah. Very good, yeah. Yeah. South Africa. Yeah. Actually, I saw that movie in Finland, because yeah. it came out when I was here. Yeah. But all of the all of the stuff that was in alien language was subtitled in in Finnish <laughs> and, and and Swedish. And I was I was trying to go, so I look at this because I can't make anything out of Finnish. So I'm looking at the Swedish subtitles, trying to figure out maybe if I can figure out what it says, because it's a little little bit closer to English. Swedish is, even though it's not very close. <laughs> was a real alien experience for you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. So even, even if they don't have television or vacuum cleaners, they have similar kind of human struggle, I think, like we have. I would or think so. Intelligent beings. I would think, I would think if you were, because we're, we're kind of a weird thing if you think about human beings, and there's a whole... There's a whole lot of speculation, like why do human beings even exist on Earth in terms of evolution? Because you, we used to think, people used to think it's just inevitable that, uh, that uh, something like us would, would arise. But if you actually look 
maybe you could tell us it doesn't if you look at the sort of evidence and the archaeological evidence that the existence of early humans was very um, unlikely you know it doesn't seem like uh, it's some kind of weird mutation that happened in the the primates and then and then uh, we have this one thing that we can do better than any other animal which is we can think our way through a problem you know and we can do that better than any as far as we know any other animal on the planet we can we can think our way through a problem and and solve it and so that makes us really really powerful but we have nothing else you know <laughs> you know we're totally vulnerable otherwise i i did hear though that apparently humans also can run long distances better than other animals. Uh, so two things. <laughs> we can run away, <laughs> and we can, maybe that's it. Maybe that's the combination that worked. We can run away and then think what to do next time <laughs> we, we encounter that, uh, that animal, you know, or whatever that problem is. Maybe that's how you survive. Running is because we can sweat. Uh, oh. Animals don't sweat. Oh, and yeah. They get uh, exhausted after, after they run like... Uh, 10, 20 miles, but humans can yeah. outrun them. In the That's the story I heard. Like, even though a cheetah can run faster than a human being, they can't run as far. Yeah. Um, so they get, they get tired before the human being gets tired. So if he can get ahead of the cheetah, <laughs> he can outlast the cheetah. And then he stopped running. Hmm? And then we stopped running. Yeah, yeah, we don't run anymore. Ooh. <laughs> That's true, yeah. Yeah, I mean, a few people can still do it, but as a, as a whole, we don't know how to run anymore. So that's how the car was invented. It's birds and run a long, long way. So what, what I'm going to do next? So I make it horrible. <laughs> or you get a horse to do it. Yeah, yeah. So which way is, if you have a southern idea and the sweat smells really bad, is it that your senses are more uh, kind of sensitive or is it that you, all that bad stuff comes out of your body? But I think it could be both. I don't know if somebody else has recognized that. <laughs> that's that's it's always... a huge difference. I hope it's a huge difference, but not, but not only that one day I recognize I think I, I think it might be different. Um, there, there's certain physical things that happen during zazen that, that, you know, nobody's really studied zazen very carefully. But I, I once encountered somebody who, uh, she, she, I think she's now living in Ireland, but I, I found her, she was in America, I think she teaches now, but she's, she was diabetic. And it, the doing zazen changes the blood sugar levels which nobody really, if you're not diabetic, it's not a problem. But for a person who's diabetic, it can become a problem to do zazen because somehow that, I don't know if it becomes increased or decreased, but she always had to be careful about doing zazen because this happens uh, during zazen. So it's kind of interesting. There's a lot of, a lot of things happen physically that we don't, uh, probably we aren't even aware of. Should I tell more jokes? Or? 
I don't know what people. Sorry to 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 have this sort of weird discussion, but I, sometimes I don't know what people um, want from a a, a tasho or a talk. So it's um, it's difficult to guess. I was doing. A, I think maybe I told this story at another retreat here in Finland, but I was doing a retreat in Germany a few years ago, and after one of the talks, one of the guys who was there complained to me that your talks are not very encouraging. <laughs> really? Because I try to. Be <laughs> I, I try. I don't know. I I try to be encouraging. Um, I don't know what he means by encouraging. You know. I think. Um, I think just just coming to do a session like this is um, it's difficult, you know. Not everybody does it, and and uh, and uh, not everyone can do it. I, I my sister came to visit me a few years ago, and it happened to be on a day when I was leading a, a Zen class, and I said, you know, it's just it's just two hours long. We sit for thirty uh, minutes and. Then we have a talk for about an hour, so it's not even two hours; it's like an hour and a half. So you can you can come, you know. I'll just be gone for a little while, but you could you could come with me and and just sit for half an hour and then listen to the talk and and we'll go have lunch or something. And she she wouldn't do it. And I said, but you just have to sit still for thirty minutes. You know, it's not that hard. But she wouldn't do it. <laughs> I was very disappointed. Um, but I thought, okay, this is this is what it's this is what Zen looks like to somebody from the outside. They 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 can't even imagine thirty minutes of of sitting quietly. Um, it's 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 so it's so strange and so difficult. They wouldn't even sit that long. But you're here doing it for, you know, well, two full days and two well half days. I don't know if it's quite half day, but you know, more than two days. And that's pretty impressive, I think. Maybe one day we'll have a longer. Maybe we can have a organize a longer Finnish session and see what that's like. <laughs> see if people survive. Uh, my teacher, though Nishijimaroshi, was he didn't. It's kind of standard to do a session for two days or three days, five days or seven days. I think is the length. And he never wanted to do one that's longer than three days. He, he thought three days is is the the limit that he would do a session. And the reason was because he thought a longer session takes you away from your your ordinary life so much that it becomes difficult to kind of go back to ordinary life and 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 becomes too special. He had some ideas like that. So for the first. Um, You know, I don't know how many years I I did zazen. The longest session I did was three days, and I got an invitation to to uh, be a teacher at a seven day session. I, I this was kind of a, a a kind of an unusual session where they would have I think five teachers there, and the whole session would be seven days, and each teacher. Would have one day where he or she was the the leader of the of the session, and then I don't know what they did with the extra two days. I forget how we organized that, but but that was the the system. So that was the first time I did a seven day session, and I thought it was really interesting because to me it seemed like the same as a three day session, but longer. <laughs> like I, I thought it would be different somehow, you know. Uh, but it was—it it wasn't really different. It was just more. Um, 
But it was it, there was some sort of something that happens if you do it for for um, more days. It, it, it you kind of um, can get more deeply into it a little bit. <clears throat> I think, but um, still, uh, yeah, I expected more. Yeah, I don't know something. <laughs> Maybe that was the problem. Do you have a like a thought of what what is the ideal length, or is there ideal length of it like a session? Yeah, how many days? I think I think the one we're doing is pretty good. Um, I I have a plan. I don't know if we're going to be able to do this, but the next session we're going to do in California, I I I'm going to try to add one extra day and see what that's like. Um, but actually. Doing that, it'll become more like this session because we arrive one day, sit a full day, then leave. But but the first day we arrive before noon, and the second day we so it's like half a day, half a day, and then one full day. And I thought we'd just just do two two full days like we do here, instead of um, instead of just one full day. So I think this is actually a pretty good uh, length. Because it, you don't get it, it, it. It's it's usually not. It's not enough to make. It's too strange when you go back into the world. That's always the the. I it, it, I don't know how many sessions I did before it stopped happening, but I know that the first several sessions I had, when I came back, it was always really weird, <laughs> you know. Uh, it, it was. I think. Also, the 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 way Nishijima Roshi made them, it would be Friday, Saturday. Somehow, you I would have to take a I, yeah. I guess they started on a Saturday, so that you would have to take I would have to take Monday off work, and though so I would come into work on a Tuesday, and everybody had already been at work for for one day of the week already, and I was gone for Monday. Uh, and so coming to work on that Tuesday was always very uh, strange for me because I, I feel like ah I don't know <laughs> I don't know what to do with this anymore. You know, now I have to think about you know something. Think about Ultraman, <laughs> which, and that's the company I worked for made the Ultraman TV show. So I have to suddenly think about Ultraman again. After three days of not thinking about Ultraman, <laughs> it's weird to have a job where you have to think about Ultraman all the time. <laughs> so that was also strange. So it's true that seven days, if you're, uh, is it true that many have said that if it's seven days session, it's like not the pain is not all the time fighting it. Yeah, it 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 seems to kind of go up and and down. Okay. Like like the first couple of days are hard, then it becomes easy, then it becomes hard again, <laughs> you know. And then yeah. that that's that was my experience of all the seven day sessions that I did. Was that in the middle it seems really easy, and then at the beginning and end it seems hard, and I don't know why that is. We had a seven-day session here that 2009 came in Oregon. In Lamy? Yeah. Here in this place? Yeah. With the Kajo Kayo Zendo? Mm -hmm. oh. Was it good? It was as you 
Describe about the pain. <laughs> yeah. Just more pain, more painful. Yeah. Who was leading the session? Was it? Oh. Wow. It was our tenth year. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, sometimes I wonder if Nishijima Roshi was right about the length, because he was very the things he was reacting to were sort of uh, the way it's been done in Japan. Uh, so it's it's a little different, you know. He he also didn't, like we do the morning service that we've been doing here uh, in the mornings. Uh, he didn't do that. Uh, you just We just sat zazen and then, you know, left. That was it. We didn't have a morning service. And then I... I went to Tassajara after I came back to America and I experienced the morning services there and I thought, oh, this is interesting. Uh, I, I kind of enjoyed doing the chanting and stuff, so I, I asked somebody to teach me how to do it and, and, uh, and we did it. Uh, as far as I know, he, the only time he did those, he, he did say one time that um, they had this little zendo in, in Motoyo, not Motoyo, in, anyway, it doesn't matter, outside of Tokyo. And some uh, Buddhist nuns came and they did a morning service every morning when they were there. And so Nishijima Roshi decided to join it and he said, oh, it was very nice. I, I didn't expect it to be so nice. <laughs> so he, he enjoyed the morning service uh, when, when they did it, but he never, he never started doing it himself. But I think that was a kind of reaction because in Japan the services have become much more important, I think, to most people than the zazen. So they they're very you know they're very uh, excited to go to uh, Zen service and see the you know the actions. I'm doing this. They they do this thing where they do sutra reading and they take a sutra and go like this. They don't actually read it, but you kind of. If, the, the, I don't know if you've seen the way they print sutras, but they're they're not printed on individual pages like we print books. It's like a big folded sheet of paper that like, goes back and forth like that, and then the covers are holding it together. So they go and open, open each one like that, and they fly through the air and make this little rainbow and then close it. Uh, so, you know, that's a very uh, nice spectacle to go and watch, and people enjoy watching that, but they don't sit zazen. So I think he was very concerned that people should focus on zazen. Well, good. Well, thank you. I hope that, is this a bad talk? I should prepare more? I think I have one more talk and I can get something. Tomorrow answer about the money back. <laughs> about what? <laughs> oh, getting the money back? Yeah. We covered yeah. the alien socks and the sweat. So yeah. These are pretty important, important, pretty important, important topics. Important. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll think about what to talk about tomorrow. Maybe it'll be better. Okay, there you go. That was today's episode of the Hardcore Zen Podcast. If you'd like to donate to me, you can go to hardcorezen.info slash donate. That is hardcorezen.info slash donate. There you will find links to my PayPal and Patreon accounts. Those are my main means of support, and I really appreciate your donations. Thank you very much. We will see you next time. Have a good time all the time. Bye.